the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views in Everett Advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. I love the fact that we live in a world where the headline starts like this. GM names Mary Barra as CEO, first woman to run major automaker. As much as you think we live in a world where there's equality, until headlines like that stop being headlines, we haven't created equality. We live in the shadow of equality. Um, Good for her. General Motors promoted an insider, Mary Barra, probably the first woman of an automaker to lead the company anywhere in the world. She started off in HR, but, and this is a pretty big but, she has an engineering degree, and she was an engineer, and she's worked in engineering, and she's run a whole factory. She's done everything that you would ask of a leader to do. She did a lot of international design, engineering, program management, quality assurance. Um, She graduated from Stanford, uh, 1990, receiving a GM fellowship, master's in business administration. So she's probably in that, you know, just cracking 50 era, uh, late 40s, early 50s, and uh, certainly has put in her time. I find stories like that just to be shocking. I don't know if you do. I do. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. We're starting to get towards that end of the year, right? Will there be a big grand bargain at the start of next year? Grand bargain tied towards what? Budget. Debt ceiling. Maybe a little love and reciprocation on health care. Maybe not. Um, Barack Obama shook hands with the president of Cuba at Nelson Mandela's funeral. One of the, you know, again, why is this a headline? Because we don't live in the world that it's as flat as you think it is. I don't know. Some people are mad at him for shaking his hand. Some people say, hey, this is unprecedented. 
1953, no American president has ever, you know, crossed that divide. And it's great that it was Nelson Mandela who was able to unite enemies. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if we can travel to Cuba? And wouldn't it be nice if we can help their country on some level with their poverty issues? Anyway, that's one of the big headlines today. Again, a lot of this, to me, uh, continues to tell a story of, like, there's a great, I don't want to say distrust, there's a great story behind the story that we continue to lie to ourselves about. And I think that's worth noting. How about this one? Uh, global warming? How about global freezing? The coldest temperature ever recorded on Earth was captured by scientists. Uh, I'm living in a cold, bitter cold, damn cold California right now. I was told a quarter of a century ago, move to California. It's warm. It's sunny. And I wake up this morning with a sheet of ice on my vehicle. So, um, negative 135. Point eight world record on cold. Uh, that's more of a temperature on Mars than it is on Earth. So all I can say to that is brr. Better bundle up, right? Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, seriously, anything. Um, it's the end of the year, and I would like to try to focus on what are you going to do next year. In the second hour, I'm going to be telling you a lot of what I expect to happen in 2014, a lot of the stocks. This will be a best-of type of segment so that I can replay it during the holidays so I can take some days off. I'm seriously not burned out, but I just need some downtime. Um, One vacation this year. Uh, Not because I don't have the money, but because I I find it tough to take time off. Job openings unexpectedly rose in the month of October. The Bureau of Labor Statistics has released its October job openings and labor turnover survey. Companies had 3.9 million job openings in October, up from 3.8 million. So there's jobs out there. Now, is it at a dilapidated Walmart in the middle of nowhere that you don't really want to go to? Perhaps. Job openings, separations, hirings continue to move sideways. Labor market turnover does not appear to have picked up significantly, suggesting continued labor market strains. One of the big stories for 2014, and I'll even say this, last two weeks, 2013, is Janet Yellen has to convince Wall Street that tapering is not tightening. She'll head the Federal Reserve, and her part of you know, helping to hurt the economy will be very much allowed as, can she convince us that there will be a transition to employment-driven statistics from unemployment-driven statistics driving the economy uh, tied towards higher interest rates. Can she convince us of that? I think it's going to be very, very interesting to say the least. So the founder of Lululemon has named a new CEO. Oh, no, no, no. Wait. Yeah, they've got a new CEO and the founder stepping down. The founder recently talked about how some women's bodies just don't work in Lululemon pants. 
He said that thigh rubbing over time will cause the pilot in poor performance of pants. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm a fairly big dude, 6'2". Body weight ranges from 215 to 230. When I'm 230, I got a little bit more rubbing in the thighs. So I know what he's saying. I can buy the world's most expensive jeans, and over time, my thighs are going to wear out maybe before my knees or my buttocks do in the jeans. Surprisingly, my jeans don't just flop apart from my gut hanging over them. It's the rubbing of the thighs. And, you know, complaints, we are living in a world now that political correctness is getting to the point that freedom of speech is getting pushed out. We are. A Democrat can make a nasty comment about a Republican, a Republican can make a nasty comment about a Democrat, and they're forced out of their jobs. We don't live in free speech anymore. If you're worried about health care becoming more socialized, I'm, I'm worried about freedom of speech becoming more socialized. I don't know if that makes any sense to you in any way, shape, or form. It does to me. Um, so Lulu Limo getting a new CEO. That stock is uh, there's there's another stock. There's not a stock, but there's a company called Sweaty Betty that I'm intrigued by, where they sell just super high-end athletic clothes, kind of like Under Armour and Nike, but times ten, and doing very very well as far as business model goes. So, yeah, I'm kind of interested in watching Lululemon as they get rid of a CEO, as they've gotten rid of a chairman. Um, where does it go get from here? If they can put some of this behind them, high-end athletic clothes will become high-end athletic clothes. I'm pretty sure of that. To get your calls in the air today, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Dow's down 35. The NASDAQ down 8. SP 500 down 4. I'm Rob Black. It was Rob Black and your money. And more of a, in effect, trying to make it more of a startup company, if you will. So I, I, this is my understanding is that... You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I was trying to do a little bit of writing last night. Stick with me for a second on this. I was trying to write a narrative for the 20-somethings that isn't pessimistic, that isn't negative, what advice would I give an 18-year-old son and daughter that sounds like it's got promise? And I'm trying to figure this out right now uh, because part of 2014, one of the things I have to do with you is like start ushering you towards retirement, and it means all of you, you baby boomers, you Gen Xers, and you millennials. But to tell that story is a narrative in my mind. I'm having a tough time. Uh, more and more people that I know are failing than ever before. That doesn't mean that more and more people I know are succeeding, aren't succeeding. I've just seen a lot more failures. I mean, people who are living with friends, 
people who are panicking and, and thinking, I've got to go live in San Francisco while I'm so young. I have no other option. I can't possibly move and pursue my career. I don't feel comfortable with that. So I'm having a difficult time coming up with a narrative that doesn't show these stories. I don't know if you can help me. I don't know if you can't help me. I've got the boomers figured out. i got the Xers figured out. No worries. S&P 500's down one. Dow's down 23. The Nasdaq's down one. Welcome in. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I saw recently in a statement 58% of investors feel that the federal deficit is the biggest risk to long-term investing. I mostly agree with that because the federal deficit in Greece eventually caught up to them. They didn't raise enough taxes. They couldn't collect to, to service that debt. Deficit equals debt. It is, but Operation Twist, which was also known as QE2, that was announced. Sure. Um, that really kind of refinanced some government debt from short-term to longer-term treasuries in the second phase of that. So it really pushes that problem out, you know, five to ten years because they put it in the longer end of the curve. So right now it looks like it's a problem that just was pushed down the road. So I might be more concerned of that in five to ten years from now. More what I'm concerned about is who's going to print money the fastest because as long as the dollar is stronger, commodity prices will stay level or fall. But if the dollar starts to weaken again, commodity prices go up, and then margins start to erode on some of the companies. You have to take a you know, really close eye on what margins are doing since they're at all-time highs. Some of these statistics scare me, Chad. Do you let, ever let them scare you? Like, for instance, I saw three-quarters of women will, be, will hit poverty in retirement. That's a pretty scary number. Yeah. Um, Social Security is not going to cover enough of uh, your cost of living. Uh, I see studies that you know people under the age of 40 don't believe in the stock market because all they've seen is 10 you know crazy volatile years. So they're not saving anything, zero. They'd rather have you know a vacation now and figure it out later. Do statistics ever scare you? Well, the problem is, is I've never known anybody that's actually been pulled, so it's almost like they make these up. I don't know where they come from. I've never been asked anything. I've asked clients. They've never been pulled. The scarier thing is just what I look to see what other people I know are, that are doing. For example, if I look at some people in their 30s, they're more worried about buying a house right now yeah. than putting money into their 401K. If you put a dollar into the 401K, the entire dollar goes to work. You have a dollar, you take it home, you only have 60 or 70 cents left to put into a mortgage, which is a liability, right? So systematically save into your 401K, monthly put money into your Roth IRAs, max those options out before you get into a house, and you won't end up being one of these statistics if you start doing that in your 20s and 30s. I recent, oh, I didn't recently, but I remember there's always something to worry about, whether it's inflation or deflation or high oil or low oil, peak oil, are we going to run out? The me- financial media scares us. Mm-hmm. There's always a negative story. There's always, you know, a, a David Tice, isn't that the guy who shorts the market, uh, who will always come out and say, you know, corporate America is a sham. It's not really working. Stay away from it. Uh what do you think about watching CNBC or not watching CNBC and continue to invest on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, CNBC is the, you know, that whole five people on the screen arguing, saying the what ifs, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I like the, the more direct news feeds like Bloomberg, for example, to give you the better idea of what's going on in the long run. Um, typically, investing anytime it's an emotional with fear or panic or greed, that's when you get into trouble. So systematic saving, having a strategy that you stick with, that's how you win. And then, like I say, make love sweet love. Yes. Enjoy California. Enjoy the Pacific Northwest. Go on vacation. 
systematic savings is the way to go and trying to get some of that noise out with a white noise filter of i.e. your life mm-hmm. you know live your life and continually save from age 20 to 60 that's the best thing the average person can do absolutely so with that said that cfp chad burton he works at new focus financial he's a financial planner he's got teams of financial planners i have a tie to new focus financial great firm you can find them online at newfocusfinancial.com that's newfocusfinancial.com the Volcker rule is a big story today Curbing Wall Street's banking, trading bets. I'll talk a little bit about that with Patrick O'Hare. Um, does it make Wall Street a little less capitalistic? It does. Um, is it going to be a nasty, nasty problem to eliminate hedging? Um, it certainly will change the profiles of how we look at some banks and how we invest in some banks. It will certainly cut down on the negatives of a banking collapse type scenario, which we hit in 2008. It will be interesting to say the least. 800 516 1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800 516 1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money investing and more. Markets are negative this morning, getting a little bit better. There were some headlines that I guess if you bought into were troubling. Um, you know, Wall Street falling apart kind of headlines. Uh, the SP 500 is down one, the Dow is down 25, the NASDAQ's down one. Another thing I'm going to talk to Patrick O'Hare about is uh, Briefing.com penned a piece last week that basically said Obamacare is not going to work in large part because the penalties aren't high enough on the young people who don't really need health care, want health care, don't want to be forced into health care, they'll just take the penalties because mathematically it works out for them for about 10 years until they're 30 years old. So the healthy part is going to carry the uh, elderly part. And I'm, I'm using my words, not all of theirs. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that works on Wall Street. Oh, real quick, I'm doing a phone fundraiser tomorrow night. Um, it's my last public appearance, Black Wednesday. Uh, you can sign up for it at Rob... or no sign up. It's just uh, come out to the Fault Line Brewery. It's on the peninsula. You can learn more. Google Fault Line Brewery. Uh, 3 to 5.30. Bring an old phone, cracked phone. Come say hello. Some say, Come say goodbye to the old year and hello to the new year. Let's talk money. Let's talk investing. Bring your portfolio. More information at robblack.com. And when you need catering for meetings, events, or holidays, visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the holiday season. I know I'm distracted. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, one of my favorite guests from the year, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Patrick? Hi, Rob. I'm doing, uh, doing well. Thanks. Okay, let's let's talk. I don't know how to make this good radio. Maybe you do. Vocal rules, vocal rules voting. What does it mean for capitalism? What does it mean for Wall Street? Can you possibly sum it up for us? 
Well, uh, the you know at first blush, what one would argue what it means for capitalism is that it's uh, kind of anti-capitalism, you know, and that the government is essentially, you know, these regulars are telling the banks, you know, how to run their businesses, and so it's uh, drawn a lot of criticism from that standpoint. Um, you know, at the end of the day, though, um, it is taking these banks and making them less risky, so to speak, uh, and the idea is that that should translate into uh, uh, more dependable uh, returns and more traditional banking activities that are to the greater benefit of Main Street. And, um, you know, it's a rule that, uh, as I said earlier, has drawn a lot of criticism, but, uh, you know, it really hasn't stopped these financials at all this year. You know, it's one of the best performing sectors, you know, of the year, and, um, you know, and you know, from my vantage point, I think, frankly, if they're not taking such high-risk activities and with their trading um, books, um, you know, it could ultimately be be a good thing. One of the things that I've always said on radio is that you want to watch the banks. If the banks are doing well as stocks, it means that they're lending money. If they're lending money, it means good things for capitalism. I guess I could still say that because this is more about trading than lending. Absolutely, you know, and I mean, it, it, I, it, if I recall correctly, you know, when the whole uh, London whale episode came out, and you know, J.P. Morgan, I think, it lost something like six billion dollars or so on that trade. It was a you know massive trading loss, but like uh, Jamie Dimon said, that that's that was a drop in the bucket relative to kind of what they they lose lending money, right? And no one's arguing or, or you know raising uh, <clears throat> any great concern about you know what they might lose and their lending activity. But, you know, to your point, um, the real profits generated by these banks that uh, are, are generated out of their, you know, their lending activities, not out of their, their trading activities. That kind of makes all the, you know, really, you know, big headlines, obviously. But, you know, at the end of the day, you do, you want banks lending money, uh, and that's going to translate well uh, into, the, into the broader economy when there's, you know, demand for that money, and it starts turning over, and, and it just uh, has that snowball effect. So let's change the topic ever so slightly and take a look at 2014. What are you expecting as a market analyst, Patrick, for 2014? Right. You know, one of the ideas that uh, can, the thoughts that concerns me really is that, you know, we've had such a good year here in 2013. It does make me wonder if we have um, pulled forward returns so to speak, from 2014, right? So you've had uh, the stock market, the S&P 500, up 27% year-to-date uh, on earnings growth that's likely to be, you know, in the neighborhood of about 5%, right? So we certainly have priced in a lot of good earnings uh, prospects, if you will, for 2014 in 2013, uh, and I think we probably have pulled forward some of that uh, return. Uh, you can say the same thing probably maybe even for, for auto sales, which are, you know, running at a $17 million, you know, annual rate, uh, tremendous. Uh, possibly pulled forward some of the home sales demand, uh, given the expectation that interest rates are going to be moving higher as the economy picks up. Um, so as far as the expectation for 2014, uh, we're not looking for a, you know, a down year, a da big down year <clears throat> necessarily, but we think that the return is likely to be a lot more modest because we have, um, in fact, pulled forward that demand. And if I can give you, you know, one stat or up here, um, looking back since 1929, uh, the average price return for the S&P 500 
in the third year following a gain of 10% or more in each of the previous two years, like we've had in 2012 and 2013, that average price return has been minus 1.25%. Um, so it's a really tall order here, I think, to expect some uh, very robust gains again in 2014 after we've seen such a tremendous run over the last two years in particular. So you're saying buy the pharmaceuticals because they make antidepressants, and you just brought me way down, and I'm going to be consuming some antidepressants. I wanted you to say the market goes up 50% following a great year. Well, you know, maybe it does, you know, right? I mean, I don't think anyone was looking for that, uh, you know, near 30% return, you know, this year when the when the year started. In fact, I went back and looked at a lot of the uh, leading uh, forecasters' prognostications, and a lot of them were, you know, looking, you know, uh, S&P 500 year end, you know, 1550, 1600. We're obviously well above that. Um, anything is possible, Rob, and you obviously know that. Um, but we do think, with you know, profit margins at record levels already, um, you know, that it's 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 asking a lot, knowing that there's going to be some disruption likely in the interest rate complex as the market tries to adjust to this new tapering reality, uh, you know, the easy money from the quantitative easing trade has been has been made. And it's going to take some time for, um, you know, the market to adjust to uh, basically, you know, transition from the new normal of getting more quantitative easing all the time to the new normal of getting less quantitative easing all the time. So, um, um, you know, we'll just have to see how that all pans out. But the path that long-term interest rates take how fast they go up and why they're going up is going to be a real key factor as uh, 2014 unfolds. I really like three news services when it comes to money. I like Bloomberg, I like the Wall Street Journal, and I like Briefing. How do you pull off, like today there's a news source on your website, uh, your in-play feature. Wells Fargo at Goldman Sachs Financial Services Conference have seen some encouraging news last few weeks. How do you pull off news gathering from conferences tied towards financials so quickly and you boil it down so well. Right. Well, it comes from, uh, you know, having been at this briefing.com is, uh, believe it or not, it's 20 years old. Um, yep. So we're a, we're a dinosaur. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong term. <laughs> we're we're, we're uh, of advanced age in terms of dot-com, you know, organizations. But uh, really, though, given that longstanding history, we've had a lot of time to develop, you know, industry contacts uh, and certainly know where and when to go for information as it relates to some of the headlines you just mentioned. And so uh, we basically, you know, have perfected that art, and uh, and it's been very successful and very helpful, we think, for subscribers to our, our certainly for our in-play service. <clears throat> I, What I basically said for those who weren't paying attention, you're reporting from a conference in real time, headlines that move stocks, and I appreciate it because I don't have the time or the money to go to all these conferences. Um, so props to you yet again. Um, different topic. Yesterday I got two phone calls within five minutes of each other during the show, Mr. O'Hare, on Twitter. And I was like, uh-oh, Twitter must be hitting a new high. Instantly right. in my head, the, the bells went off. Um, what advice do you give friends and family at the Christmas table when they're asking about stocks like Twitter, when you want them to be asking about other types of stocks, say a boring old industrial? Well, you know, the advice is that, you know, when something is, uh, you know, seemingly too good to be true, it, you know, it often is. Um, and, uh, and what I mentioned to them is that, you know, the market we've seen unfold in 2013 is a, a momentum-driven market. Um, right. 
there's a lot of liquidity sloshing around out there, and uh, headline stocks are the ones that have been real beneficiaries of that, you know, increased liquidity. And so you kind of have this piling on effect. Everyone's chasing the hot name, and it works for a while, but one day it doesn't, you know. And when it doesn't, it can hurt bad, and it can hurt in a hurry. And like I mentioned, uh, you know, several weeks back, right in front of Tesla's earning report, you know, made that same point. You know, Tesla has stabilized here in recent sessions, but that was a stock that was at 190 bucks a share not that long ago, and it went below 130. You know, um, and it dropped 25 percent. I think in a span of three sessions, when it uh, didn't have the uh, the most robust outlook that uh, you know owners of that stock were hoping for when it reported earnings. And so, you know, when you think of Twitter, uh, it's obviously got a lot of mind share, no doubt about it. A lot of users of that service. Uh, it's a great company. It just might not be the great stock everyone thinks it is. And uh, you're really going to need to uh, take a step back from it and let this company uh, report some actual you know earnings results to get a better feel for you know how it's performing. Relative relative to the very lofty expectations that have been priced into that name. We've got a couple minutes left, Pat. As always, what are you working on that you want us to know about at this point in time? Well, I got to tell you, Rob, I think you stole some of my insight earlier because I was going to mention I am working on our market view uh, right now and uh, should be able to, to uh, uh, divulge a lot more uh, when we speak next week. But that's my main point of emphasis right now is to kind of like try and, you know, really filter and uh, all the stuff that we have in front of us right now to lay out, uh, you know, our expectations in a very, you know, digestible written format. So that's my, my number one priority right now. But at the same time, just kind of like needing to uh, be really focused on the interconnectedness of the market right now. Uh, the tapering issue is, is you know, front and center, right? Uh, we've heard about it ad nauseum. I'm kind of getting tired of talking about it. You know, a lot of people probably getting tired of hearing me talk about it, but it is what it is. And so you've had some interesting relationships since that employment report was released. You've seen treasuries actually rally in the wake of that, and you've seen stocks rally in the wake of that. Uh, it's an important dynamic because it suggests either uh, the market um, doesn't think a tapering is coming in December, or it's not living in fear of a tapering. Um, and both, I, you know, arguably are good fact, good good thoughts for the stock market as we uh, look at the early part of 2014. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Seriously, if you just spend a little bit of time playing with that information, I think it rubs off and makes you a smarter investor. Briefing provides independent live market analysis of the U.S. and international equity markets. He's been around 20 years. I've been following him for, I think, 18. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial on the Wall Street Business Network. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Violent Femmes. Can you imagine this was actually considered alternative rock? Can you listen to it now? 
This was actually punk rock on some levels. And you listen to it now, it's almost like a pop song. Like you expect to hear the song, The Voice, or that dreadful American Idol. Um, so that's all I got for you. Blister in the Sun by the Violent Femmes. Uh, 1983? Is that dating you yet enough? So there's another song on that album called Add It Up. And that's kind of funny because you don't use the phrase album very much anymore, do you? That's one of the things that I'm actually mad at Steve Jobs for doing. He killed the album mentality. CDs still had an album mentality. But I remember a day and age when you would actually go and buy a record. And you'd put the album on the turntable and you would flip it when it got halfway through five of the songs. Uh, Digital changed things ever so aggressively. And I would almost go as far as to say violently. Um, I never really got into... The Violet Fims like deeply, so I couldn't tell you anything about their second or third albums or anything like that. Um, I know that they played at Coachella this year, but I that's as far as my knowledge base goes. So on that one, I am an inch deep and a mile wide. And that's an interesting phrase that I coined. I didn't coin it, but I used it on a financial person not that many years ago. And it just it shocked her when I did. And it was a CBS News reporter who covered money, and she's no longer in the market, and I'm not going to bring up her name because it serves no well to do. But she worked in financial media for radio and television. I work in financial media for radio and television. And we were on a panel, and it was pretty interesting because it was a group of investors who said, hey, can you come talk to us? So we're speaking to a room of 300 people, and there's a Barron's reporter as well for technology um, who has since moved to the Wall Street Journal. And he was sitting in between me and this this financial reporter from CBS, and uh, it was pretty cute because we're talking about the markets, and, you know, she pulls headlines for a living, you know. She may see this one. Apple target raised to 600 from 530 at Bank of America. And what I do is I, I pull 30 targets, and I'll do a blended report, a blended average for you. Uh, she just sees one. She goes on to say, you know, U.S. exits GM stake, taxpayers lose $10.5 billion. And I'll say, okay, yeah, they, we, we lost $10.5 billion, but we probably saved a million jobs at the time. Figure the average American pays how much in tax per year times that by a million and start doing the math and then you start figuring out if that person is on government welfare how much of that job loss isn't just saying okay here's welfare to the company versus welfare to the individual and the idea of corporate welfare is just a nauseating subject for a lot of people the idea of corporate uh, welfare for an individual is nauseating to people I think both are needed at times and I don't think there's, it's written in stone so this reporter, I, she would just... We got into the point where someone asked a question of who you can trust in, in media or who you can trust for financial opinions. And she's like, well, I've got 15 years' experience doing this. And it came time for me to talk. And I said, well, keep in mind that most people's knowledge base is an inch deep and a mile wide like hers. And, like, she doesn't really know... She doesn't have a CFA. She's never worked as, with a CFP. She she's, has no clue what even a CFA stands for. Uh, she's never taken an economics class. She knows how to read news well. 
And I said this in front of her, and the look on her face was honestly like I had taken a, a baby's diaper and put it in her mouth. She was disgusted. And I don't take this, I don't say those statements lightly, and I don't take those statements back. A lot of you out there take information and you just assume, like, taxpayers lost $10.5 billion. That's the story. No, that's, that's the headline. You have to dig to understand the story inside of headlines. And you don't invest with headlines. And I see way too many people do it. Uh, too many people just off the cuff feel something. And you don't do that either. But, I don't know, long story short, uh, I'm still in the market. She's not. I retired from the financial uh, day-to-day operations of money to do financial media to help make things aware to you. There's one guy out there who talks about all his great stock picks. And he actually sends out letters saying, you know, hey, this guy, I heard him on the radio or television, and he's got great stock picks, and I've been using him for years, and they're great stock picks. So I emailed the person who emailed me about this guy with great stock picks, and I said, just show me one statement where you actually did what he said. Just show me one year statement, and I will give that post six figures. I will give him seven figures of my own money to manage. And you never get statements from these people. You never actually see the proof because it doesn't exist. People who tout and people who loud are the lowest forms of scumbags. With that said, I'm 6'2". I'm kind of a big deal. I drink lots of scotch in my belly, belly, belly. People know me. You look like a succulent baby lamb. You do look like a succulent baby lamb to me. I love baby lambs, by the way. Ah, they're not bad, if you know what I'm saying. 800. Thank you. 516-1220. Lambs going off at the slaughter there. So anyway, um, I just try to give you an honest opinion. That's the only thing I'm, I'm doing on this show. I want you to have a sense of career that's really important. I want you to ensure things that you can't afford to lose. I want you to have an emergency fund. I want you to save for retirement, and I want you to pay off, you know, Debt of over 8%. Um, that's some of the basic tenets of this show. And then I have to put a narrative to that every single day. So I talk to zombies a lot. You listen to Rob Black. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Last event in person tomorrow night, 3 to 5.30, Fault Line Brewery. Come out and say hello. Do me a favor. SP 500 down 1. The Dow's down 23. The Nasdaq down 1. Our KDOW Business of the Week is IRA Services Trust. Financing subject to credit approval. We monitor every move of the market. In the last several years, real estate has never been more affordable. Opportunities for investing have never been better. But sometimes financing, especially for investors, has never been more confusing. I want to talk this hour about money and investing and expectations going forward. I own many financial textbooks. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm important. I know you're saying a financial textbook. That's the worst reading possible. I know. There's a lot of formulas in them. There's a lot of things about option pricing and Copula function, assessment of confidence limits, complex value-added models. 
uh, if you pick it up, you literally will have no clue what it means more often than not. When you start to study in business and finance, you learn a zillion things. You try to memorize a couple, and you get some core principles, things that will govern all the other rules, core principles. Evolution tells you a lot about biology. What was that? Did my voice just crack? Did I just hit puberty? Evolution tells you a lot about biology. Evolution, I said. Tells you a lot about biology. Um, I don't know why that word evolution was tough for me. But a lot of things in money are pretty obvious to me. Compound interest, it makes you rich. Now, what is compound interest? You invest a dollar today. In 10 years, you've got $2, and in 20 years, that $2 will become 4 and then it becomes 8 and then it becomes 16 and then it becomes 32 all before you retire. So $1 becomes $32, all basically money-making baby money. But compound interest has that trick of you invest a dollar in your 20s, it turns to $2 in your late 20s, turns to $4 in your mid-30s, it turns to $8 in your early 40s, it turns to $16 in your late 40s, it turns to $32 in your 50s, and just let's say it stops there. Or let's say you work a little bit longer and it turns into $64. So $1 makes all those little babies. But what I also just said is that's 40 years in the making. It takes a long time for money to make little baby money that's relevant. It's hard to tell you you're going to double your money in the next 7.2 years. You'd be like, oh, okay, sweet. But I only have a dollar. And it just doesn't sound worth it. But when I tell you your dollar becomes $32 or $64, you're like, I can see $100 becoming, holy mackerel. Like, you get the power of it. 100 becoming 200, 200 becoming 400, 400 becoming 800. So you need to continually put money into this concept of compound interest will make you rich, but it takes time. Warren Buffett's a great investor. What makes him rich is that he's old, and he's been investing for his whole life, two-thirds of a century. Of his current $60 billion of net worth, $59.7 billion was added after his 50th birthday. $57 billion came after his 60th birthday. If he started saving in his 30s and retired in his 60s, you would never have heard of him. His secret is time. He's an old man. I like him as an old man. I tend not to like old people. Old people chew with their mouths open. Old people don't pay income taxes. They're not working anymore. But they take Social Security tax, and then they pay income tax on that Social Security tax, which is kind of funny. So maybe I do like them after all. And I'm just not telling you. So time is your most important tool. And if you don't get that, you don't get that. And I can't help you. The single largest variable that affects returns is valuations. And you have no idea on how to figure that out. Future market returns equal the dividend yield plus earnings growth plus or minus the change in earnings multiple. That's how you do it. I had to write that down to understand that. <laughs> I could say that out loud. The dividend yield, it's currently 2%. A reasonable guess of futures earnings is 5% per year. What does that do to multiples? Most people don't know. So the biggest variable that affects returns is valuations. Right now, and I could put it in, in simple terms for you, right now if you think the economy is going to improve, 
there'll be more people with jobs. More people with jobs will throw more money at product. And that pushes up revenue. If a company is lean and operates efficiently year over year, more revenue equals more bottom line. If a company has a history of being lean and profitable, you're like, okay, I see next year is looking pretty good, so I'm going to say I'm willing to pay a little bit more for that company. I'm going to up my valuation. I'm going to up the upside of the company. But that's what it starts doing. You start forecasting. And there's always going to be a boogeyman. There's always going to be something that... that Kim Un Jong-il, Un, the little punk from North Korea, who needs to be slapped, honestly. Don't you just wish a world leader would slap him? Like, awesome, right? He's, a, he's an unknown. He, he could launch something. He could destroy people. He, you know, he's a crazy person. His dad, I think, once said that he, on a 18-hole course, golfed at like a 19, the lowest score ever in history. Okay, next concept that governs all other concepts in money and investing is simple is usually better. Keep it simple, stupid. Someone who bought a low-cost S&P 500 index fund in 2003 earned 97% return by the end of 2012. All you did was buy the S&P 500 index fund. And people will look at the 2000s and go, Whoa, that was a crazy roller coaster. And you'll see people like Jim Cramer like, Buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. Like, this is the stock to own. This is the stock to own. This is the stock to own. Every day it's a different stock. And all you have to do is buy the S&P 500. Go home, make love to your spouse. Don't get too angry in life. Be a good consumer, not a bad consumer. Investing is not a computer. It's, it, it's so much simpler. You don't have to make it complex. Now, financial planning is a lot more complex. The odds of being humiliated by trying to pick stocks are high. And, yeah, you may want to hit pick stocks, but you know what? All that time and effort that you put into it, if it does pay off for you, is lost time because you didn't have to. Next one. The odds of the stock market experience a high volatility are 100%. If you know that rule of thumb, if you know that mantra, if you know that core principle, that it's going to be crazy out there. And, like, if you ever watch seven-year-olds play soccer, you'll see ten kids run for the ball. No, no, 20 kids. Ten, teams, ten kids from each team run towards the ball. They don't know where halfback position is or, or striker or defense. They know where the ball is, and they go towards it. That's not how you succeed. The odds of the stock market experience and volatility are 100%. You know that. So when you hear people getting greedy, when you hear people getting fearful, when you hear people getting excited as greedy, you just got to know nothing's going on. Since 1900, the SP 500 has returned about 6% per year, but the average difference between any year's highest close and lowest close is 23%. So... The next time someone tries to explain why the market's up or down by a few percentage points here or there, they're basically trying to explain why summer came after spring. It just happens. Someone once asked J.P. Morgan, who you know, you know, what's the market's going to do? He said, it's going to fluctuate. True words have never been spoken. It's going to fluctuate. The financial industry is dominated by crank charlatans and salesmen. Most industries that we know of, whether it's tires or automotives or doctors or vitamins, 
They're dominated with cranks, charlatans, and salesmen. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Look me up. Stocks. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. We live in a world that I refer to as having many a damnation games. What's a damnation game? Ah, uh, well, well, sit down and I'll tell you. Uh, livable wage, seven dollars an hour, seven fifty, twelve, twelve fifty, fifteen. What is it? Uh, there's been strikes. McDonald's doesn't pay a livable wage. And, you know, on the other side of that fence, it wasn't meant to. It was fast food. It was convenient, cheap food. If McDonald's was selling a burger for $64, you'd expect a livable wage. But when they're selling, you know, 40 nuggets or 20 nuggets for $4, you're like, you can't kill that many chicken. Like, that's there's no way. There's no white meat in that. There's no dark meat in that. There's gizzard and beak in that. Mmm, yummy. With a little barbecue sauce and mayonnaise. So anyway, here's a, a statistic that's going to nauseate you, right? I still want McDonald's to pay a little bit Well, tough, because it's not going to happen. It's the franchisees that own McDonald's, not McDonald's that owns McDonald's. Now, on the other hand, Starbucks owns Starbucks, and it's not franchisees that own Starbucks. What do McDonald's and Starbucks both have in common? Well, they're considered, you know, fast food, or they're considered, you know, quick service restaurants, whatever you want to call them, QSRs. Here is the average CEO hourly compensation at McDonald's, $9,200 an hour. The average worker at McDonald's, $7.73. Starbucks, $9,600 an hour. The average worker, $8.79. One is franchised, one isn't. One could never pay a livable wage, one could. So go think about that dilemma for a couple minutes and get back to me with the answer. SP 500 is down 3, the Dow is down 34, NASDAQ down 3. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton from NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. Chad, there's been a lot of headlines about ETFs and how individuals can trade them for free. Let's talk about ETFs and what people need to know. Yeah, it, I mean, this is should be a core holding in people's portfolios, but it needs to be a core holding in the right place, and they need to be used properly. ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. We know mutual funds are actively managed or passively managed. Um, same thing with ETFs? Yeah, now. I mean, they start off as passively managed products, so the best known ones are Spiders, symbol SPY, where you can buy the S&P 500. Um, or QQQs, that's the other big one that is based on the NASDAQ. Um, you can look at the holdings there easily. Um, ETFs, they trade all day long, and you, can, you have to, the, the holdings are reported on a daily basis. When you buy a mutual fund, if you trade in the morning, whether it's a buy or sell, you don't get the price till the end of the day. So mutual funds trade once a day. At the end of the day, they figure out the net asset value. ETFs are considered more transparent. 
they trade all day long, so you could do things like stop losses if you've decided you want to sell something. Um, you can do limit orders. It's a little bit easier to use, but the idea is that they're a little bit cheaper typically than the mutual fund, and they're a great tax-efficient way to get broad-based exposure in the right areas. And when I say the right areas, I like uh, if you're trying to do broad-based exposure into large caps or mid caps or certain sectors, that's when they work well. Um, also, certain strategies like some of the dividend-increasing ETFs that are out there. Um, Vanguard has one. Um, S&P has one. Those are great tools. Where I don't like them is in the areas of small cap or emerging markets or international because I think you need a manager to be a little bit smarter in terms of what companies in the international indexes you truly, truly want to own. As a financial planner, as a portfolio manager, what are some of the products other than ETFs that you include in overall portfolios? Well, I like them all. So a lot of firms out there will say, well, I'm only an index fund investor, or I'm only a managed mutual fund investor, or I'm only a stock picker. Um, you know, I decided a long time ago that I was never going to put myself in a box because things change, and I like stocks in certain specific areas, like dividend-increasing stocks. Yep. I like ETFs in large and mid-cap, and I like managed funds for my small cap, some of my mid-cap, my international, or things like if I'm investing in certain types of oil and gas companies. Um, so they, there's good and bad in everything, and you can't just say you're one thing as an investor, because as soon as you do that, you're probably going to be wrong. There's a person who espouses buy and hope is dead, and buy and hold is dead, and, you know, I don't... Where you say you don't put yourself in a box, I hate people that put themselves in boxes. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to have an open mind. I think a, a Republican Congress is different than a Democrat Congress. I think a Republican president is different than a Democrat Congress. Like, it changes how you might say, I, I feel a little bit better about uh, you know, international companies. I feel a little bit better about defense companies. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you had to get a little bit more active. I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have ignored the fundamentals. But, or the, not the fundamentals, but the technicals. So... Now, though, I'll use kind of quantitative analysis, just certain quant screens to narrow down the choices of stocks that we're going to look at because there's so many out there. Right. And then uh, use fundamentals to determine which companies you want to buy, and then you use technicals as the last resort to just make sure that the entry point that you want to achieve is correct. Sometimes you don't want to buy until the chart looks maybe a little bit better and things have turned. Um, sometimes you don't want to sell until the chart starts to break down. Um, but it's not the first. I mean, people that only trade on technicals, show me one that's been really successful and always beat the market over the long run. Yeah, and if I were to give up my Call of Duty analysis, it would be like bringing a sniper rifle into a city battle. You don't do it. You bring a sniper battle, a rifle into a wide open desert. You know, I, I, six months ago, I would have not known what you were talking about, but I finally played it with my son, and I realized how horrible I am at video games. Oh, yeah. I spent half the time shooting the wall or looking up, <laughs> looking up in the sky. I can't get my thumbs to work the same way. It's, it's horrible. It's awesome. So <laughs> as a financial planner, you know the right tools to use in the right scenarios. As a video game player, you don't, right. so you don't play video games. Same thing with investing. If you don't know the difference between an index ETF or... Uh, one that's more actively managed, what the costs are, what uh, different presidencies, what different inflation areas. Low inflation, you can make a lot of money. High inflation, it's tough to win in the market, and it's easy to win in the bond market. So different scenarios win in different um, environments. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a certain point where interest rate increases are okay, but after that, there might be a time to overweight in bonds again. Good stuff. Tune in every day. Chad Burton is live and on air Mondays from 6 to 7 on KDOW. 
You can also find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. So there is a story about Google buses and how they're ruining the city of San Francisco. And if you have an opinion on it, I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. We all know Google and Facebook. Uh, they recruit young talent, and young talent doesn't want to live in Mountain View. Young talent doesn't want to live in San Mateo. Young talent wants to live in San Francisco. And they're willing to pay a premium to do it. And you're seeing a lot of evictions and rent increases. I've got a video producer here at the TV station that I work at. She didn't cry yesterday, but pretty much so. She's frustrated. Her rent's going up because someone just bought the place behind her for 20% above market ask. And told her landlord she should pay more. You listen to Rob Black and your money? I'm Rob Black. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. Talk all things financial money, invested in more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 2014, how's it looking for you? There's going to be a lot of tech trends that we're going to be paying attention to. Um, What's a tech trend? Well, you know what a tech trend is. It's a lot of money going one way. And it potentially has big time payoff for you. One of my friends works for Siemens, and one of the things he does is a lot of city planning. What you don't know, you probably don't know, is the only thing I can tell you here, is that cities spend a ton of money trying to figure out how to be sustainable for the future. Take a look at a company or a business like uh, Detroit. That city once was thriving, and it was a big, booming business, and they gave firefighters money, and they gave police pensions, and... uh, it was great. And then the business started to shrink and they couldn't support those obligations. That's going to be one of the bigger issues going forward is we can't support obligations in our nation on health care and social security. We can't support it with our business model struggling with employment issues. It takes too many positive things to fall into place to continue to do that. So whether it be a city, whether it be a country, whether it be you know a county. So anyway, 2014, I think you're going to see cities get a lot smarter. A lot more sensors, a lot more cloud-enabled apps, connecting transportation, metering, healthcare, lighting, and environmental data. And it makes it more actionable. So we're building a billion-node planetary network of sensors and streetlights. If you knew, like, IBM, what they're doing in San Francisco, it's pretty impressive. Cisco, what they're doing in Florida, it's pretty impressive. IBM's trying to build an operating system for San Francisco. They have what's called an intelligent operations center. Um, 
and they're doing this, you know, for San Francisco. Sensors are spreading throughout the area, even if you don't understand them, even if you don't see them. Um, trying to tie information flows together. Every city is different. So someone like an IBM has to make sure that their software is flexible. So go Google IBM in San Francisco and you'll see some of the big trends of 2014 are are heavily tied towards um, saving cities money with technology. Mobile money is going to continue to grow in 2014. What is mobile money? (laughs) Mobile money is banking, it's financing, it's mobile wallets. Mobile is growing in South Africa, in Africa, in Asia. Uh, Mobile money, you know, it could be things like getting data on crop management, yield, and product tracking. So as mobile penetrates into more and more countries, into more and more continents, mobile payment solutions are starting to become more of a norm. So pay attention to mobile payment systems. And one area that I'm, I'm pretty impressed with is Visa. They've done a nice job of buying pieces of little companies that are all doing these some mobile solutions to make sure that they're there. I still like Visa, American Express, MasterCard. Wearable devices is probably the third big trend of 2014. Samsung came out with a stupid-looking watch. We know Apple's going to do a watch at some point in time. Google's got glass, the eyeball um, glasses kind of angle. So competitors are all starting to look at each other, and it's a vertical market. It's going to be a watershed year 2014 for wearable as we start seeing more of the devices proliferate into our life. And, you know, again, the concept of a desktop computer is almost funny. But the desktop computer laughed at the, you know, mainframe. And the desktop computer got, you know, going with a laptop. Laptop started laughing at the desktop. Tablet started laughing at the laptop. Smartphone started laughing at the, you know, laptop. Tablets, you get the idea. Wearables going to be a big area of technology in the not-so-distant future. Uh, let's go to a phone call. Caller, what's your question? Fucking Robbie, this is the bar fighter from San Jose. What's a bar fighter? Yeah, you know, a bar fighter is basically a metaphor, uh, like, what was it, Russia, Russia... Uh, Solnitsyn said that Russia was a riddle wrapped in a, in a, what was it, a riddle wrapped in an enigma. Barfighter is a metaphor wrapped in a pseudonym. Can you help me? <laughs> Basically, Rob, you know, actually, I want to compliment you. Uh, you've got some cutting bumpers going on. I love your, your music, man. No, no, what's, what's Barfighter? Why? I don't get it. It's a pseudonym. It's just that I don't want anybody to know my name. I, you know, I call a lot of different stations. You know, particularly the sports stations in the area. Okay. So it's just a, it's just a, it's a pseudonym. You know, it's like somebody writing a book, uh, and you utilize a pseudonym. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> so, what's your? <laughs> was that a little too long-winded or what? It was pretty long-winded, and it was the payoff wasn't there. All right. Well, you know, basically, um, just a pseudonym. 
based on a metaphor, which is basically uh, don't go to bars and get in fights because it's really stupid. Okay. I, I'm sorry I asked. What's your question? Okay, what I want to talk to you about is, uh, you know, basically we know that the White House and the Fed are kissing cousins, right? You know that, correct? The White House and the Fed are kissing cousins, okay. Yeah, you know, they basically utilize each other for an election cycle, right? I totally disagree with that statement, but go ahead. Okay, well, my thinking is with uh, Yellen, uh, I, you know, I feel that she's probably going to continue the quantitative easing to keep uh, the, mar- the bond markets alive and to keep uh, the interest rates low for people to, to keep this euphoria with this recent housing bubble. And I just wanted to find out what you thought about that. I don't believe in that conspiracy angle. The Fed is a little bit more open now than they were five years ago. Um, back when Paul Volcker you know, ran the, the, the Fed, it was a very, you, you don't know what they're doing. Their mandate is to fight inflation and to create a, a jobs scenario that doesn't create inflation. But at the same time, they don't want lots of unemployment, so they're kind of a job maintainer as well as a low inflation maintainer. When the economy heats up, they raise interest rates to curb lending, to curb speculation. When the economy s- slows down, they uh, lower interest rates to, cur- you know, to increase speculation, increase lending, and the profitability of banks in the process. Um, the fact that they used to not say a word was part of their, they don't help the political cycle. Uh, there used to be years, and you don't remember this for whatever reason, you sound old enough to remember this, but the Fed would do nothing in election years. So all of their work was done in the two to three years that the president's already been elected so that they didn't control or move the uh, presidential debate. And, you know, in the last cycle, you saw them, you know, back off making a lot of statements right before the elections. I could see your conspiracy theory angle. I don't agree with it. So you don't think that the Fed did anything uh, during the Clinton years? What do you think they did? Um, basically, what they did was they um, they kept interest rates at a pretty uh, good uh, low rate, correct? No. That happened under the Bush years, after terrorism and 9-11. The, the rates were relatively low, uh, basically, during the Clinton years, and had been substantially higher prior to that, correct? There's been periods of higher interest rates. There's been periods of of historical interest rates. During the Clinton years, I would refer to them as historical. So what you're basically saying is that there's no relationship between the Fed and and, and a political cycle. If you thought that, I think you... you can't say there's yeah you can't yeah you can't say yeah you can't say there's no relationship because there are certainly coinciding government agencies. Well, who but, who appoints the Fed chair? Let, let me ask you something: Is it a, a, a politician, elected politician, appoints uh, the Fed chairman, or who appoints the Fed chairman? President appoints. It's a presidential appointee. It is not an elected position. So okay, keep, so it's not an elected so, position. So you're saying that there's no uh, uh, connection between. Uh, the political cycle and what the Fed does. What is the political cycle? You started with the White House. Uh, a political cycle is a political cycle is basically uh, our so-called uh, representatives getting elected. Okay. Can and you do me a favor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you do me a favor? Just call the yeah. Do me a favor and just call the sports stations. Thanks, <laughs> bar fighter. Um, I'm not big into conspiracy theories. It's like, does the labor market? Manipulate the data so it looks makes the president look better. 
I guess that could be a, a case for sure. The way they take surveys, absolutely. You could lean it one way or the other. Is it enough to, to sway a political cycle? I don't think so. Your context of the Fed Reserve, and you're telling me Janet Yellen out of San Francisco, an economist, is going to base and try to swing an election, is pretty silly. They have a mandate. It's pretty well spoken where they want employment at. It's pretty well spoken what their inflation levels are at. And when they hit those metrics, you'll see action, hopefully. I think the Fed has done a nice job. I don't think they've done a perfect job. I don't think they have the tools to help do a perfect job in an economy. I don't think they're appointed for that position. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. I'd rather see Congress do a better job at that. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So, I've learned a lesson today. Anyone who refers to themselves as barfighter, as a pseudonym, which already is funny right there, never ever put on air. I understand people's desire not to like the Federal Reserve. I get it. Trust me. Um, I know right-wingers who think the Federal Reserve should be abolished, that the dollar should find its own level. That inflation will take care of itself. These are... That's okay to have that opinion. I'm, I'm totally with that. To try to link it to a president, sure. A president can appoint somebody who's more dovish or hawkish. No doubt about it. The appointee process for the other Federal Reserve governors can't really be pushed by the, the president of the United States. Trying to pin elections on economists, I think are kind of silly uh, at this point in time. Now, there's no doubt President Barack Obama wanted someone who wasn't as dovish as her. She wasn't his first choice. She was the market's choice because the market is demanding. Um, the market kind of has a, an angle that's well-known and well-commentated on. So, Barack Obama won it um, under the Clinton administration, Larry Summers. And he probably wasn't going to be as inflation easy. And so right there, barfighter's angle is, is torn apart. Now, again, there are some people who don't like the Federal Reserve or the idea of the Federal Reserve saying, okay, we're taking a look and we see no inflation, so we're going to lower interest rates. Lower interest rates brings on lending. Lending happens in a whole spectrum. On one end, on the conservative side, you've got a great credit score, you've got a high-paying job. We're going to give you a refinance of your auto loan at 2%, and you're going to put up that title as collateral. becomes a little bit more speculative on young couple uh, 
they make enough to qualify for a house. But what if she decides she's going to quit her job and start making babies? Will they still make enough? So they'll look at that as a risk. They'll say, you know, we're not 100% sure you're not going to make a baby. They won't say that out loud. But they'll charge you a little bit more than maybe the going rate. Thanks, Will. And then there could be, you know, dude who's made video games his whole career, and he makes video games for other people. He wants to start his own company, and he doesn't have that much collateral. He's got a couple, you know, 100000 in his home, and he wants a million dollars. And they'll say, you know what? I'll only need the money, but I'm going to take a piece of your company. And he'll go, okay, deal or no deal. No deal, you go to the bank, and they're going to charge you 20%. 18%, 15%, 10%, you go with me, I'm just going to give you the cash. But I get a piece of your company. So lending's always come in a, a spectrum of the riskiest to the most conservative. Nine out of ten venture capitalist projects lose money. We look at them as some of the richest people in our society because of huge home runs that they had, but we don't see their strikeouts. So, bar fighter, I don't, I'm not with you. I'm not with you. And I'd appreciate if you just want to call because that is a Rush Limbaugh call. And the one thing I will always pride myself on is that the show has to be smarter than that. And if it's not, then I've done something terribly wrong. So iPads and tablets are going to continue to grow in education systems. You're seeing more and more kids with them in their hands. The L.A. Unified School District uh, potentially putting hundreds of millions dollar deal in the hands of Apple. One laptop per child. You're going to hear phrases like that. It becomes one tablet per child. So top trends of 2014 in tech, mobile fitness. A couple of years ago, I had a, a Fitbit. I had a Nike fuel band. It was okay. The jawbone up, okay. It needs to get more and more. And I think that's one of the things Apple, why Nike's on the board of directors of Apple. Um, the head of Nike, Phil Knight. Um, I think you're going to start seeing things like smart shirts. I think you're going to start seeing... Uh, a company recently filed a patent for a, a toupee, kind of a wig that has sensors in it. Now, that sounds like a crazy idea until you start thinking about, okay, well, let's go away with a toupee. Let's just put a, a, a sensor on someone's head or inside their helmet when they're playing football. And you're like, you're starting to see mobile fitness merge with technology. So when a football player gets a concussion, the helmet knows long before a doctor knows how big of a hit that actually was. LTE subscribers are going to double. 4G LTE is going to start to roll out in 2014. Faster is better in the world of tech. Smaller, cheaper, faster. It's one of the driving forces of technology. Device context, aware, device context awareness becomes, you know, it, it accelerates. The more we're wearing in technology, the more we're, we're consuming it, uh, we have to acknowledge it. And things like Siri and Google now, they're very good examples of our devices knowing about us. When I'm done with this radio show, I look at my phone and it tells me how long it takes me to get home. When I use Waze, which is a traffic app for my phone, if I go a shortcut to work, it starts to acknowledge that and it builds it into the directions. Devices are becoming smarter. Personal clouds are going to explode. The public cloud seems to be too much of an NSA's playground. So you're going to start seeing companies and individuals start turning to private cloud solutions and network-attached storage devices right in the home. 3D printer sales are going to jump, continue to go higher. I expect that as a, a, a definitive. 
There's what's going to refer to as micro-consoles, like OUYA. PlayStation and Xbox have captured all the headline on the gaming systems tied towards the TV. But you're going to start seeing some smaller players turn into console players as well. Anyhow, and anyway, we'll take a break here. We'll talk tech. We'll talk investing soon. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. I'm Rob Black. Talk to you soon. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.